Welcome to Always Andersonville, the podcast. I'm Charlie. And I'm David. This week, we are joined by the owner of Waste Not Compost, Liam Donnelly. Waste Not Compost, Chicago's first and only zero emission compost collection, was born in 2015. Waste Not Compost currently serves homes and all events and business types, ranging from schools, cafes, bakeries, farmers markets, and everything in between. They take the work out of composting for you so it can be not only easy to do so in an urban setting, but is a clean experience with all tools provided at every pickup. Liam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here with us today. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. I know we've we've talked to you once before, but uh, I'd love to, I, I'm sure in, since the last time we've talked to you, of course, life has changed quite a bit. And uh, I'm sure a lot of developments have been made in your industry as well. So I'd love to have you uh, reintroduce yourself, tell us a bit about your background and a little background about Waste Not. Yeah, Absolutely. Obviously, my name is Liam Donnelly. I'm a lifelong composter. I never really thought I'd be going into the sustainability world as a profession. I grew up composting in Lincoln Square because that's how my parents raised me. I didn't have a choice. It's a chore that my brothers and I had to do. But I got into the food service industry when I was 14 and was exposed to the amount of waste that a kitchen produces, a commercial kitchen, and was shocked to find out that most kitchens didn't compost and most kitchens still don't on the commercial side. Seeing that problem, Waste Not was born kind of out of happenstance. I began taking coffee grounds home to my backyard in Lincoln Square, adding to my compost. I was having fun doing a couple buckets a week, turning into 20 buckets a week, all from the same cafe. And eventually I started getting paid to do this as well, which was really cool as a 15-year-old at the time to get paid to do something I was already doing and something I was passionate about. The fact that I was 15 meant that I didn't have a driver's license. I was forced to think outside the box a little bit on how to transport these coffee grounds. And that really came down to a bike and a trailer. Uh, It started with a dolly, then a wagon, then escalated to this bike trailer that looked ridiculous. I mean, I converted this kid's bike trailer, put some plywood in, and I thought it was really cool. But looking back on it, I understand how it looked. But what it did for us and what it did for me back then is it made it very exposed very visible to the neighborhood that I was picking up these coffee ground buckets. So what started with one cafe turned into three cafes. And I thought I was going to get out of this after high school. I thought I was going to go do something cool with my life, cooler than composting. There's no such thing. (laughs) But the business hasn't slowed down. It really has kept growing. We started uh, with one bike and a trailer and me doing all the pickups. And today we're the largest electric waste management company in the country. So we run the largest electric fleet of any waste management company. And it means that we're able to provide service to Chicagoans and Chicago land residents, all with zero emissions. So a lot has changed over the years, but it's only getting more exciting. So it sounds like this was a family affair. I mean, you can clearly tell from your website that this was a very personal project for you, but I didn't know that, you know, this is something you'd grown up doing. I'm, I'm curious about maybe where that came from in your family history, where your parents maybe picked that up. Because, I mean, I will admit, you know, we all come from different walks of life, but I will admit composting wasn't really a word I was even familiar with until probably the mid 2000s, I'd say. Uh, It just wasn't something that was done in my neighborhood. It wasn't something I think my parents were aware of necessarily as something they can do. They have one now, but uh, so I'm curious where that came from in your family background. 
Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, and honestly, it's a question I still ask my parents every so often, because looking at our family, you wouldn't think that we'd be composters. We're not gardeners, and I'm still not a gardener to this day. Most people think that in order to be a composter, you have to want to garden. And I'm thankful to my parents that they did not enforce both of those rules on us. We didn't have to garden and compost. We just had to compost. My dad grew up in Oak Park, where his parents composted. My mom grew up in Texas, where she lived very closely with her grandparents, who they composted. Little Great Depression victory garden as like kind of this combination through the generations of like started with one need and became another need resource management at its finest my mom's family they just like the garden they like to grow fruits and vegetables my mom what did i say my i'm gonna go back here my dad's family they just like the garden it was more about this the act of creating your own vegetables the act of creating your own fruits and using that compost as a cheat code for having a pretty vibrant garden on my mom's side, it was a little bit different. It was more necessity. It was more of a low-waste approach to it. It wasn't anything about the superpower of compost. It was more, this is this makes sense. Why spend time and energy growing a vegetable only to throw it out in a trash can? But for us, it was my parents decided to compost pretty much since the day they got their Lincoln Square house. So at the time, it was just my oldest brother. And they didn't really think about it that much. You know, I've asked a lot about this. This was not something where there was much discussion about, do we compost or do we not compost? They both knew that it was a good thing to do, but they didn't exactly know why either. I mean, it's a really strange way of growing up where my parents taught us to compost and taught us it was the right thing to do, but they're not sustainability junkies. They're not eco-warriors. They don't wake up every morning thinking about the environment like I do. They just knew that this was the right thing to do. It was a responsible thing to do. And my brothers and I had fun with it. You know, we grew, you know, we're Donnelly's. So in true Irish fashion, we had to grow some potatoes. Uh, but but <laughs> I'm not even making it up. I think I've only grown like four plants in my life for consumption. Uh, basil, tomatoes, potatoes. And then I'll throw another, you know, mint in there every so often. Uh, but that should go to show you that I'm not a gardener. Uh, this was just something where I thought it was really cool to see my parents' food waste and their coffee grounds. And it was largely my parents' food waste because I didn't eat fruits or vegetables growing up. I didn't drink coffee either. Turn into this really dark, rich dirt. Uh, and that was my full exposure to it growing up. Was This was food waste, and now it looks like dirt. It's filled with worms. This is pretty cool. That's where my knowledge stopped. That was it. I'm going to update what you said a little bit earlier where compost is cool, I would suggest using possibly compost is steamy before you talk into the sexiness of, of the composting uh, business. You're welcome. I love it. <laughs> you know, I, I use, I often say that, uh, and I know Charlie, you have a question later uh, about how things have changed. You know, I got into composting at a time you know, I've been, what is this? I incorporated in 2015. Uh, I've been doing this since 2012 as a service. So 11 years now, right? That's how math works, 11 years. I think so. I'm not totally sure anymore. <laughs> so a decade ago, composting exposure to the general public was very different to what it is now. You know, most people, including the some of the people I worked with uh, when I first started composting, they thought composting had to be gross. 
They thought it had to be this disgusting process. Uh, that's if they even knew what it was. The majority of people had no idea what composting was. So most would know what compost is, the nutrient-rich soil amendment that's created by composting, but they didn't know how it was done. Most people, they hear the word compost and they thought manure. They thought farms. This is, you can only do that in rural farm communities. It only happens on farms. A lot of the people I talk to, and this we still get this every so often, they don't understand that it can happen on a very small scale or a very large scale. So 10 years ago, composting was a gross word. It was a trigger word. If you knew what it was, and the majority of the people I talked to had never been exposed to composting in my life. You should, like, looking back at all the times I embarrassed myself in high school, talking to my friends and asking them about composting or asking them about recycling, uh, I'm amazed that I graduated in one piece. Uh, <laughs> The market shifted, though. The public perception of composting has shifted. So 10 years ago, if you knew about it, you thought it had to be gross. You didn't think it could be done in the city. Uh, that's if you knew. Then we got into our first farmer's market in 2015. People, they still had those same ideas, still kind of gross, but intrigued. They wanted to know about this compost. They saw, thought we sold compost for the most part, but they wanted to know what we were doing. Uh, they still thought it was a farm thing only. And through the years, it's really shifted to like, okay, I know what composting is. I've been exposed to it through the news. I've been exposed to it. I mean, it's on Arthur now. Come on. People are talking about composting on PBS. So children are exposed to it. Parents are exposed to it. People know it can be done in the city, but they still think it has to be dirty. They still think they've got to be out there turning this bin and fighting off rats every time they open the lid. But more and more, we have people coming up to us. They understand composting is the right thing to do for the environment, gardener or not, and they want to do it. They want to figure out how to do it. They may not know how, but they want to figure out how they can add composting to their life. So it's been a pretty exciting shift over the last 10 years. Liam, let's step back for a second then and actually just have you answer what is compost? What is composting? We, I think we want to get that out there before we dive too deeply into it, the process, the environmental impact. And then you had already started to mention, but some misconceptions about yeah. composting as well. Uh, so from the basics, what is composting? When I first started putting together PowerPoints for composting presentations, I think there were 16 pages of Google responses to the question, what is composting? And I did a lot of searching to find my favorite definition, because a lot of people will say composting is nature's way of recycling food waste. And that's like surface level. It's scratching the surface, maybe. But really, composting is the process of leveraging a natural decomposition process. I've got this definition that I use a lot that includes optimized environment at the end. So it is really leveraging the natural decomposition of food waste through an optimized environment, through a controlled environment. So it is a natural way of recycling nutrients from food waste back into the soil, but it has to be done. It's more of it's a recipe. It's like you're baking a cake. You have to have this proper environment. And for to do that, there's a couple ingredients that you're mixing and it's carbon and nitrogen, temperature and humidity. And if you can control those four things, you can make a pretty great compost cake. Most people would call it the compost lasagna if they're doing it in their backyard because that's what it looks like. But short answer to a very long question. If you're in kindergarten, if you're under second grade, it's nature's way of recycling your food. That's what it is at its core. If you're into the science, it's leveraging that natural decomposition process through a controlled environment. 
And understanding that is critical because this isn't throwing your food waste in a pile and hoping it breaks down the way you want it to break down. This isn't throwing your food waste into a landfill and hoping that it's magically composting out there where the environment doesn't exist. There's a science to it. There's a recipe. It's got to be that optimized environment. You've got to do a little bit of work if you're actually on the composting side of things. Your editor is going to have fun with these. I was going to think, if we're going to be jumping all over the place. Um, you, no, you're good, David. Go ahead. The the narrative of composting over decades, and I'm glad you mentioned uh, your family in Texas with the Great Depression, is that a lot of folks historically have shipped their compost to other parts of the state, to farms, where they can then turn it and use it. And you flip that model on its head by staying within the city. How has it been to kind of re-educate and bring people up to speed that the compost that's going downstate produces um, carbon footprint because you're driving and you're using um, gasoline to haul tons of waste down to farms, which is then becoming nutrients for the soil that grow our food or grow our feed uh, that contributes to the agricultural ecosystem, whereas you flip that model by doing what, Liam? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> talk about long questions, David. You might be the king of them. I am. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so what we're trying to do at Waste Not, uh, not just for Chicago, but you know, eventually across the country is convince people that compostable waste should be processed within the cities that produce the waste. Uh, and David touched on some great points there, uh, but I'm going to dive a little bit deeper. Do it. And what most people don't think about, and this goes for both industrial scale composting, but also municipal solid waste landfilling, you can't find a landfill within a city. They don't exist. And there's a reason for that. It's literally a sunk cost. It's a finite amount of space. We're trying to pack as much trash into that space as possible. You cap it, you plant some grass on top, and hopefully you can convince some golf course to lease the land from you and create this beautiful hilly golf course that is leaching methane into the atmosphere every day. But what people aren't thinking about is that they are paying for that waste to be transported. You know, And David asked about, how do I talk to people about the environmental impact? of transporting that waste. And the majority of the people I have to talk to about this, David, they're more interested in the financial impact of shipping that waste than they are in the environmental impact. Uh, people want composting to be more affordable than landfilling their trash. It's one of those things where, oh, it's the right thing to do. So it should be cheaper too, right? Like it should be a win-win. This idea of paying more to do the right thing is very hard for people to wrap their head around. Uh, Composting infrastructure isn't there yet. We don't have enough of it in the Midwest. We don't have enough of it in this country. Uh, so it is causing all of us as composters to start investing pretty heavily in in the processing side of composting. Uh, it's a very expensive process. But if we do it right, what it allows us to do is shorten the transportation distance of that food waste. Composting done right is a manufacturing process. It's a manufacturing process where you can get a 70 to 90% reduction in volume. So for every 100 pounds of food waste, you could have 10 to 30 pounds of finished compost, which is really space efficient. I mean, we're talking, put it under a roof, have a factory that takes in 
really voluminous, really wet, really stinky material, and then pumps out on the other side this dark, rich looking dirt. You know, it's super dirt. I get in trouble for calling it dirt, but to the average person, this is just really nice looking dirt. <laughs> what is what what is the appropriate word for it? Oh man! So if we call it fertilizer, I get in trouble. If we call it soil, I get in trouble. If we call it dirt, I get in trouble. It is, and depending on whether or not you've certified it as organic or not. So it's for the sake of this, we've certified it as organic. It is a nutrient-rich organic soil amendment. Uh, this is not a soil replacement. It is not a fertilizer by technicality. It is an amendment to the soil. And I'm going to go here and make some enemies here. I plant directly in my compost. People say, oh, you can't do that. So we produce is pretty well balanced. It's not going to burn my roots or anything. Uh, but to me, it's soil. It's dirt. I'm using it 100% compost, planting my basil in there, planting my mint in there. And I haven't killed the stuff yet. So the, the real answer is that it is a soil amendment. You're meant, it's intended to amend soil you know, 20% compost to your 80% potting soil. A little bit of compost goes a long way. It packs a punch. Uh, it is nutrient rich. It is so dense. Uh, and if you think about, if you see the raw input side of compost and you look at what's in a bucket and all that food waste, and you think about all the vitamins your parents have told you to make sure you eat off your plate, but then you transform that into a little bit of compost that it produces, it kind of makes sense why it goes so far. You are taking a lot of energy that's already been spent on growing that produce and growing those vegetables, and you're putting it into this really dense pocket of compost. Yeah, I mean, and I think you in there kind of touched on one of the main misconceptions that I I had particularly was going to ask you about was the supposed labor-intensive and inaccessible composting for city dwellers. And not only ha is it not so, especially working with Waste Not, but... Uh, You've made it, you've actually kind of, as David said, reversed the process in that it's more sustainable and beneficial to for city dwellers to compost with you than to drive their compost to a farm because you're uh, running an entirely electric fleet too, uh, in terms of how you're taking care, uh, transporting the compost. Yeah, that's a great point and a good question. For composting to be successful for municipalities, it's got to be cleaner than conventional waste, and it's got to be easier than recycling. And the reason I say that is the people that wake up every morning thinking about sustainability, those that are environmentally conscious in their actions, they're finding a way to compost already. You know, they may be driving their compost to a farm, community garden, an urban farm. They may be composting underneath their sink with the power of worms, or they may be doing it the old-fashioned way and having a small pile in their backyard where they're able to compost their raw fruits and vegetables and then their coffee grounds and eggshells uh, and their yard waste. And those people are going to find a way to compost uh, regardless of where they're living and what their built environment is. But for composting to take off, uh, we've got to take this process that is normally more labor-intensive, normally more prone to smell and pest. And we've got to flip that. And we've got to make composting a cleaner process than what they're used to. This is people that are not waking up every day thinking about the environment. This is people that they need a little extra push to say, I should probably compost 
because it helps the environment, but it also makes my life easier. So what we've done is we've granted access to industrial scale composting to Chicago households, and we've made that process super clean. We provide a five gallon pail with an airtight lid. You're able to put all of your food scraps in it. That includes meat scrap bones, solid dairy, baked goods, and commercially accepted compostables. So those cool compostable coffee cups and utensils and straws. You don't have to worry about whether or not the plastic has the right number on the bottom or if it's clean or dirty, whether or not your cardboard has pizza grease on it. It's really all food waste and all 100% paper products can go in this bucket. You put this airtight lid on it. We come by either every week or every other week and we swap the container out with a freshly clean and sanitized bucket. Almost no smell, very little chance of having pest problems. And it is a way that you can compost year round without ever making this trip to your backyard pile or, you know, even a farm here. But the cool thing is, if you still have a garden and you want that compost back, we'll give it back every spring and fall. Because I may not be a gardener, but I fell in love with composting through the transformation process, seeing food waste turn into what looked like dirt. So for me, it's pretty important that our members also get to see that finished product. Well, I think one thing that I have found very interesting just going through your information and especially talking to David, because David has such a a history and um, has been very educational for me in terms of what I can compost in the office. There's things I can compost. I had no idea that I could. And you mentioned the the pizza box with the, the grease on it. And it's interesting because, well, it's kind of upsetting, but a lot of those pizza boxes these days say recycle me on them. And in Chicago, we can't recycle those. And I kind of have to tell, you know, like I have, there's certain things that I thought I could recycle based on them either saying recycle me or that you might be able to in other places that we can't. And I'm looking through your site and your Instagram and your information. And there's so many things that you can compost that I was completely sure I wouldn't be able to. So, I mean, I think that's education is obviously a big part of it, but I mean, you even have listed things like, um, uh, you know, various types of uh, meat, bones and shells. And someone had always told me that I can't compost bones. So I, I think you clearly have intention on terms of educating, but also making as much compostable as possible. Yeah, the, the power of industrial composting pretty far and wide. It's still the same process that happens in a backyard pile, but because the scale is so much larger and the center mass of the pile is larger, it retains heat longer and generates heat faster. And that heat process and really all it's doing is creating this optimal environment for the aerobic bacteria to consume the food waste. That greater environment for it, the larger environment, allows us to break down things faster. It allows us to break down those baked goods. It allows us to break down those proteins, so the meat products and the solid dairy. And then if you think about paper towels, napkins, and pizza boxes, uh, as long as they're 100% paper, they're essentially a tree uh, that came from a tree. They grew from the earth. So we have a few sayings that we use. If, If it grows, it goes. So if it was ever once living, it can be composted. And that is a perception issue with composting. So I'm glad we're bringing this up. When people think about our service, when people think about industrial scale composting, they don't realize that it's different from what they can do in the backyard. Uh, so for a lot of people, they just don't think it's worth doing because, oh, I'm not going to take the time to separate my 
cooked or raw or my greasy products or my meat scraps or my vegetable scraps. I don't want people to have that barrier. I don't want them to have that hurdle. It really needs to be a simple process for the masses to really get on board with this. And then pizza boxes. I'm going to talk a little bit about recycling. I told you I want it, but here I am. I'm going to do it. Yeah, because I was curious, why can't you recycle that pizza box with the leftover cheese on it? So my quick recycling education, and I'm a composter and I'm not even a scientist. Uh, I've been pretty open to the public. Uh, I may have had one of the best environmental science educations available in this country at Loyola. Little shout out to the School of Environmental Sustainability. But what I'll tell you here- David too. Yeah. You know, I, I switched from environmental science to environmental studies pretty quickly. I knew I didn't belong in the lab. Me too. But would I, yeah, <laughs> not my place. Uh, but what I will tell you about recycling is there's only two recyclable materials that are infinitely recyclable. It's our metal products. So mostly in our life, it's aluminum, cans, and then it's glass. Everything else goes through a degradation process. So I'm not even going to talk about plastic recycling because- most people listening to this podcast are probably f- pretty familiar with how sad of a situation that is. It's not happening. Very, very little amounts so of that are actually going down. But then we're going to talk about paper and cardboard. And in order for paper and cardboard to be uh, recycled, it gets shredded. It gets turned back into a pulp. But every single time that you do this recycling process, you're shortening the fibers necessary for it to be turned into another product. So the quality of that goes down. And part of that process is water a lot of water. If you think about grease and water, it doesn't really work. And these grease-saturated fibers that go in your pizza box, uh, they make it really hard to separate the fibers from the pizza box of cardboard. If it's clean, no big deal. You all know what happens when you put a cold glass on a piece of paper and paper gets saturated with water. It starts separating as you pick it up. Usually you have to wipe off that extra pulp off your table. That's not happening when you've got this grease-saturated cardboard. The water really isn't able to permeate it. You're not able to rip those fibers the same way. And it usually renders that cardboard to be landfill only. You can't recycle it. Because it's cardboard, though, and as long as it's 100% paper, we can compost it. And the reason I said I talk a little bit about recycling, a couple months ago, the city of Chicago, they came out and they said, we can now accept pizza boxes in the city of Chicago. And then you scroll all the way to the bottom and they say... I'm going to try to pull it up here. If the bottom of the box is overly greasy, just recycle the clean parts. Okay. That's exactly the Great. same. That's exactly <laughs> the same language that was used when pizza boxes weren't recyclable. The whole thing was recycle the clean parts only. And now we just went public saying, yes, we can recycle pizza boxes. Just not if they're overly greasy. Recycling is confusing. It is a really confusing thing right now because... The industry's tried to sell us on this recycle everything idea. It started with single stream recycling, one bin for all streams. And then it became this process of, oh, but what about this piece of plastic? Or what about this product that has a little bit of plastic and a little bit of foil and a little bit of paper? And cities and haulers, for the large part, they've wanted to avoid that word no. And they say, yes, we can put that in there too. And what it's done is taken a really efficient process and made it really complicated and inefficient because now we've got to separate all this waste on the back end at a material recovery facility. We've got to invest hundreds of millions of dollars in these fancy pieces of equipment to separate plastic based on type with lasers. I mean, it's kind of like a bad Austin Powers scene. It's freaking laser beams, all right? Uh, Come on. 
I appreciate the movie a movie reference. I always appreciate a movie reference. Yeah, uh, but seriously, I, I think these waste executives have gone in and they're like, we're going to use freaking laser beam, and somehow it's going to work, and it's not working. So recycling's on the horizon. I know David threw this in. He got me on my recycling thing because pretty soon there's going to be a waste not recycle as well. It's already out there. It's trademarked. Well, Liam, I wanted to ask you because at what point can we stop using a greenwashing term like recycling and start talking about regenerative products like glass and like aluminum? Because that's a whole education in itself of debunking the myth that just because they produce recyclable like plastics, it's actually cheaper to just produce more. Yeah. Uh, and it's on the plastic side, it's substantially cheaper to produce more plastic. But then I'm creating a whole nother set of en- enemies talking about petroleum subsidies. We'll just carve out plastics for a second and talk. Yeah, I, I try to stay, stay away from there. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's going to be difficult. I'm, I don't have a huge sphere of influence in the industry when it comes to recycling. Recycling is kind of a dirty word if you're really into sustainability. Because this word recycle, now it's a magic word. And it's the wish cycling has gone wild. Like you have something and you don't know if it could be recycled, but you feel guilty about throwing it out. So you throw it in the bin that says recycle and you say, don't worry, the material recovery recovery facility, they'll sort it out. They'll recycle it if they can. And it's why recycling is broken. We're going to go eventually to glass only, cardboard only, and metals only. And it's going to be a great thing for all of us. I was going to say, it's funny that you mentioned that because going back to uh, something you said really earlier is you, your mom comes from a family that uh, came from like the Great Depression of, in our time. And most folks are kind of considering this time as a silent depression because there's so many similarities in understanding and knowing my grandmother who we grew up with, she would save aluminum foil because it's it's you can reuse it. And what you're offering is something that's very relevant in a lot of people's lives today, whether they associate it with being part of a depression or whatnot. But the idea of uh, bringing in food that goes from soil to soil, whether they're composting in their backyard, in their apartment, or in this uh, system that you've created that's from the city, and then introducing a regenerative product like glasses where you go to any college dorm and what do they use as cups, Prego jars, whatever. And we're following a lot of the same trends as that we did uh, so many years ago. And it comes down to best practices on just understanding your relationship with social norms and socioeconomic classes, but also sustainability. Yeah. And this is, I want sustainability to just make sense. And it was making a lot more sense when the recycling streams were simpler. When what you put in a bin was pre-separated, when you as a consumer separated what you put in the bin, because it ended up being a lot more financially efficient and environmentally efficient. You know, these, the cost of separating that waste after I could have already separated the waste on my end is ridiculous. And composting is simple for people. I look at it as a gateway drug to sustainability. I'll probably get in trouble for calling it a gateway drug too. I look at composting as the introduction to sustainable lifestyle. Uh, It is the first thing for a lot of our members that they're doing every day 
that is solely dedicated to the environment. Our audience is people that understand sustainability is important and know they should be doing things for the environment. But oh my gosh, it's just too difficult. It's too hard. And I'll be honest, it is kind of confusing. Sustainability is a very complicated thing. But when you can make something as simple as a green bucket in your kitchen, food waste, just think about food waste, it becomes really easy. And you're exposed. I'm going to jump around a little bit, Charlie, and you're probably going to have to ask me the question because I'm going to answer it. There was a question on here about what role does composting play in reducing food waste and promoting sustainable waste management practices? This is a pretty hot topic, too. And people look at composters. If you look at some of our Instagram comments every so often, these people come out of the woodwork like, you're promoting food waste. I've got to think about it for a second. I've got to look back. and uh, Quite I, the opposite, right? Yeah, I, I do the pushback <laughs> on the table where I have to think about how I'm going to respond to these people. Here's the deal. Most of our members prior to composting never thought about how much food they were wasting because they never saw it. It went in their black trash bag or can't even say black trash bag anymore because most of us are using the classic Kirkland white trash bags. They're beautiful. <laughs> it goes in the trash can and forget about it. It gets covered up by the next thing that goes in the trash can. They never have seen their food waste separated in their lives. And when you add compost into the lifestyle, you're able to see exactly how much food you're throwing out. And where for a lot of the naysayers, they come out of the woodwork and say, this is promoting food waste. Look at the picture of that bucket. You could have had more of that avocado, I promise you. It's like, I'm glad they're thinking about every last spoonful of the avocado. Uh, we're looking at people that pick up this bucket and realize, wow, I just threw out 30 pounds of food in a week. Maybe I should reconsider how much I buy. Maybe I could, should reconsider how I stock my fridge. And now they're seeing it for the first time ever. I kind of forgot about this because I grew up composting and never really had a stinky trash can. But for so many people, it's this exposure to how much they're wasting and then the fact that their trash can no longer smells. Those are their biggest takeaways from joining our service. It's kind of amazing. The my trash can doesn't smell anymore was probably the number one comment we've gotten ever. People are amazed <laughs> by the fact that food waste in a plastic bag that leaks into this trash can that sits in your kitchen and never gets cleaned out. They're amazed that that is what was causing smell. Uh, they've never had a service that comes and cleans out their trash can for them, which is essentially what we do. But that's one way of answering that question there. Well, I know um, I, I want to, we, you mentioned, we sort of, you commented on this a little bit earlier, but I want to dive a little more deeply into it because I know David wants to address uh, some Chicago specific, uh, specific compost subjects. And, you know, one of the things that I'm most curious about is, of course, I say this every episode, but we always talk about COVID one way or another. And, you know, you started in 2015. And then, like you mentioned, you've been ranked the number one compost collection service in the US, uh, what, four years running now? Thank you, tree hugger. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm curious how you've seen public interest in composting evolve. You know, was did COVID have any people were spending so much time at home, more time at home? Did COVID have any sort of effect in the interest in composting or people's uh, at least maybe you notice people's education in composting? Uh, so I'm, I'm curious how public interest has evolved and if you did see any significant changes coming out of the pandemic. Yeah, and I can't say whether or not these changes uh, are a result of causation or correlation, but 
here's what I can tell you. COVID came along and over 80% of our commercial business paused or outright canceled. Cafes, restaurants, offices, schools. Those were our big commercial accounts. And at the same time as those accounts were canceling, they were sending their students home. They were sending their employees home. They were sending their workers home. And people were exposed to food waste for sure. They were throwing out stuff that they typically threw out at work or threw out on their lunch break. And it was somebody else's job to take out the trash before. And now it became theirs. So they were really exposed with what exactly they were producing because now they were responsible for taking out their own trash and all of it. So we saw an increase in residential interest while people were working from home and schooling from home. And I thought that was going to be it, right? I thought that was going to be the only change that we experienced. But a few other things happened. One is work from home became a thing for a lot of companies. And out of nowhere, we had large corporations reaching out to us and offering composting as a benefit, uh, which is really cool. And I wish I could take credit as this being my idea. And this was something that we were selling companies on. But no, they did it on their own. Uh, some sustainability teams or HR teams out there thought of this grand idea. Hey, our people are going to be working from home. They're going to be eating from home. How can we extend the benefit and encourage them to keep working for us? And their solution was composting. So this goes back to composting makes you cooler. Businesses have already realized this. Offices have already realized this. It really is this hot topic and people are into it. So that was cool. Big corporations. I'm not going to drop names here, but major Chicago employers began offering composting as a work from home benefit. But then in what I refer to as this post-COVID world, you know, post-lockdown, post-closures, people came back into restaurants, people came back into offices, and sustainability was on their mind. It was kind of like a reset for them. Maybe it was on their mind pre-COVID, but now that they're going back in, it's kind of a start over moment. And we had more interest from commercial customers than ever before, post-COVID. Our whole and nobody on the, none of our listeners are going to be able to see my air quotes there in post-COVID because I know there's still cases out there. But our interest on the commercial side has skyrocketed. We've got national chains starting composting programs. We've got corporate headquarters across the city composting. And now if there's a new restaurant opening, chances are somebody somewhere in that organization has brought up food waste management, composting, sustainability, because this is a chance for a fresh start. It was a chance to really reevaluate how we did things. And I don't think we would have had that chance if we didn't have this big pause in operations where waste hauling was paused and dumpsters were downgraded and products weren't reordered because who knew when we'd be returning to office. And then we returned to the office, we returned to the workplace and we can buy compostables now. We can order a compost dumpster instead of a landfill dumpster. We can add composting to our education and curriculum at school. So we've seen a major increase in the interest in composting in the post-COVID Chicago than I ever expected. I mean, I was very scared. I'm going to be transparent here. At the onset, I was very scared. We were going to lose all commercial business forever. Uh, Didn't really know what was going on. Didn't know how we were going to manage a workforce. Post-COVID, I'm quite optimistic that it was just enough of a pause for us to really rethink how we do operations and how we live our lives at home too. 
I have to throw in because during COVID, we as the Andersonville Chamber of Commerce worked with WasteDot. And one of the biggest things for consumers and business owners is, is saving money, especially when there's so many fluctuation in uh, resources going throughout the world. And we started Clark Street Compost with WasteNot. And a big push for that was because it was affordable and it showed folks how much resources that they are then putting back out there into the waste stream and and saving um, from paying really high litter abatement costs. Because you mentioned, Liam, when you break down just an individual's use of resources, you're going to compost, you're going to recycle. And then the little itty bit of that is your plastics and things that can't go uh, into regenerative. So that all means saving money. Yeah. And it was kind of unique to Andersonville, you know, the Clark Street compost program. And if you look at the articles surrounding it, people were pretty ecstatic about it. It was a first of its kind program and it did a lot of wins. It was like consecutive wins for the participants. It allowed restaurants to see how much of their food waste was actually getting thrown out and wasted. But then that wasted food was ensured to become a regenerative practice and go back into composting. It exposed restaurants that never thought they could afford composting or sustainability in general to a sustainability program funded by Special service area? Are we supposed to say Chamber of Commerce? Oh, both. Uh, both our SSA 22 and the Andersonville Chamber of Commerce provided resources for our businesses because we understood the importance of how much of a benefit it is for our struggling businesses to get back on their feet if this is one last thing that they were able to have to deal with because rising costs across the board, having two, $3,000 litter abatement bills wasn't really an option for a lot of our restaurants. Well, I, I'm super excited that other uh, parts of the Chicagoland area, area are picking it up because that was the main point of it uh, is working is to make sure that there was a program that was designed because you create such an ease of experience with composting that it can just be picked up and placed in other places in Chicago or Chicagoland area, because you've landed a municipal contract with, uh, which, is it a county? Is it a township? It's with the City of Lake Forest. So it's not just announced its first municipal franchise agreement with the City of Lake Forest. And uh, it'll be the first of its kind. But a big part of the reason that we were awarded it was because we'd proven capability in larger program rollouts like Clark Street Compost. And for my little Clark Street compost shout out here, I will say that it has influenced other Chicago neighborhood associations, SSAs, chambers of commerce, but not just Chicago area. This is a type of program, an introduction to composting for commercial business district members, you know, commercial business district members across the country. This is not something that is limited to Chicago now. When you make it in Waste Dive or Waste Today as rolling out a composting program, business district-wide, that's a pretty big deal. And we've seen programs and funding opportunities in California. We've seen them in Connecticut. We've seen them in Massachusetts. Very similar programs 
based on what we did here in Andersonville. Let's bring that home because where, in your opinion, does other cities across the nation, they've off, they've been offering composting programs municipally, if that's a word, it sounds like a wrong word, but if it's a word, within their cities, have you experienced some really solid programs out there? And then I want to touch base on Chicagoland as they're starting to explore what a composting uh, program might look like, and we can start going in to pick, uh, picking apart some ways that they're doing it well and some ways that people are doing it on their own and by ward. Yeah, I've got to give a lot of credit to municipalities across the country that adopted composting programs early because it wasn't easy and it's still not easy. To do composting right on a municipal scale involves a very holistic approach to your waste management practices. It involves reducing your contamination forces. So looking at legislation around single-use plastic utensils and single-use plastic straws and single-use plastic bags because those are major contaminants in the compost stream. It involves looking at the types of households you have and your waste setup. You know, we're very lucky here in Chicago with our alley system. Most municipalities don't have beautiful alleys like we do here in Chicago, nowhere near to the extent that we've got them. So they're forced to think outside the alley and figure out, can we really fit another bin on the street? And what type of bin is it going to be? And what's it going to look like? There is, there's been a lot to learn off of composting programs throughout the country. And even in places that have conventionally been looked at as the gold standard in composting, they've got a lot of work still. The people that composted and started a composting program early across this country, they started a composting program. Some of these cities started a composting program before compostable bags were a thing, before compostable utensils were a thing. And because of that, they didn't have the opportunity to regulate single-use utensils. And that's still a huge contaminant in their systems today because they didn't get ahead of it. So we've got to do things a little bit differently. They've also, a lot of the places where composting became mainstream before Chicago and before the Midwest, they've got temperate climates. They don't have winters that are nearly as brutal. Food waste is very wet. It freezes. It will freeze inside a cart if you leave it in the alley. Good luck getting it out. That's not a challenge our friends in California had to deal with. It's not a challenge really our friends in Washington had to deal with. Their bins weren't freezing solid. I mean, this this is a unique thing to the Midwest that's going to force us to evaluate how we practice composting on a municipal scale. Newer composting programs are looking different than the originals. They're smaller containers. There's more and more swap programs popping up throughout the country, even on the municipal side. So, for example, our agreement with Lake Forest is for a container swap program. We're not tipping a compost cart into the back of a truck and driving away. We're taking that full container. We're dropping off a clean, sanitized, empty one to promote clean composting year-round. Uh, this is something that we're seeing become more and more popular. And I think we're learning a lot. I'm excited to say it's one thing that on the waste and recycling industry as a whole, people are diving in. They're taking a look at what's worked and what hasn't. And there's at least a good group in the corner fighting for a composting program that actually appeals to residents. And that's because people are excited about this. This is very different from 
what we've seen with a lot of waste management practices where it's led by the industry and the industry is pushing for it to go one way or another. I'm looking at you single stream recycling. For the first time ever, we've got this waste and recycling topic that is really exciting. I won't say for the first time ever, for the first time in my lifetime, it is really exciting for people. And those people are getting involved. They're going to the meetings. They're talking to their older people. They're talking to mayors. They're talking to public works and departments, truth and sanitation about what type of program they want because they might have been exposed to the repercussions of doing it wrong on their own or trying to do it elsewhere in the country where it didn't quite work. It was nearly there, but not there. For images of frozen uh, compost, please check out waste.compost Instagram, Chicago Winters. I think that's our probably our most like photo ever. Frozen bucket of compost dumped out. It's it just a, completely held its shape. It's a work of art. I think you should do a sculpture garden in January of just those um, some of the coolest things. Uh, let's touch base with uh, Chicago because there are a lot of folks who are pushing for uh, what municipal composting can be in Chicago. And uh, you touched on this, but I want to make sure that it's clear that with the single stream recycling, that was done in a very particular way where you had to recycle. What would you consider if a city did an opt-in composting program instead of just making everyone do it? Um, having an opt-in program to kind of ease into what a citywide would look like. I'm a huge supporter when it comes to programs, whether it's recycling or composting, where one user's bad actions can ruin it for everybody. I'm a huge supporter of opt-in programs. And if you're going to introduce a program like composting that can get ruined by one person misusing their bin, through the introduction of contamination. And that contamination can be everything from diapers to pet waste to their paint that they didn't have a use for. I mean, the list goes on. There's a lot of ways to mess up composting. And now we're talking about something that is intended to grow produce for us and get used in our garden. So the repercussions of contamination are pretty severe. That's where it has a place for an opt-in program where people that want to compost are given the ability to compost, but we're not forcing people to compost. That I'm a huge supporter of. It's a, it's a difficult decision to make because you want to say that the city of Chicago compost, what I'd rather say is the city of Chicago, Chicago compost right, the city of Chicago compost correctly. I don't want to say that we have citywide composting and figure out that only 7% of our bins are actually clean enough to compost. And, and to that point, uh, we have, we're very fortunate. We're on the of the track within our wards. Andersonville's within the 48th, the 40th, and the 47th, which includes Lincoln Square. And there has been a lot, a huge amount of support for composting and community gardens and the different ways to compost from vermiculture to a bin in the garden landscaping and especially services with residents and businesses signing on what are your thoughts about kind of taking it ward by ward and if there was a competition who was who would be the lead i talked about chicago's unique waste setup i mean the the beauty of alleys the unique challenges we face are frigid winters are scorching summers and I am a strong proponent of piloting a program before introducing it to the entire city. 
Uh, I think we have a unique power here in Chicago with our influential older people. I mean, they have the power to introduce a program within their ward and pilot it, feel it out, figure out what works and what doesn't without using resources that would be required for it to go citywide. They also are uniquely positioned to be impacted by their constituents and hear them out and listen to them. I think a lot of times if we went citywide from day one, it'd be a challenge because we've already invested in the program citywide. We're not going to change it again. And we're also who's getting the feedback and what are the repercussions for negative feedback? Uh, what's going to be done with that positive feedback on a ward level is so different. I mean, you, these ward offices, they're exposed to the people that live in their ward on a very different level. So I'm a big supporter of trialing things out ward by ward, figuring out what works so long as there's a system in place to gather the feedback during and post-program, post-pilot, because I want this to be a program that works for all of Chicagoans, not just a select few. If we want to talk about who's winning, that, oh, yeah. We were, want to start a compost war here? We, I mean, that'd be pretty fun. Early, uh, you don't even know. There's uh, What's incredible about our wards and our older folks is uh, the 47th Ward has Matt Martin, who's established a Green Council, who uh, has done incredible work with just sustainability throughout his, his tenure as alderman. Andre has started a Green Council, and Lenny is in the development uh, in the 48th Ward. And so we have this incredible amount of support behind the investment of doing something really well and really right. And it's basically me, my own person as a human being, David Oaks, putting each ward against each other to see uh, who can do it the best. Because at the end of the day, that's what results in the, the the best solution. Everyone's working together to have a common good. Yeah, and I'll start the fights. And as we're, I think I think David's way ahead of you on that. Okay, well, you know, I'll uh, I'll throw gasoline on the fire here, and. <laughs> We'll have to find his girl missions way of saying that. But, <laughs> but if we had to pick a winner right now, uh, city award or an older person that's probably doing more for the composting work than anyone else, I'd have to say it's probably Matt Martin, longtime supporter of composting in general, longtime home composter, but also an older person that really goes the extra mile to make sure that sustainability is considered in ward events and that composting is a part of the events that he puts on and is open to a dialogue about it. I mean, this is someone that understands that a 96-gallon cart colored green is not necessarily a winning compost solution for the majority of people in the city. In terms of neighborhood Neighborhood involvement. I mean, I know we're on the Always Andersonville podcast here, but Andersonville has more neighborhood involvement. Uh, if we want to eliminate government from it, more businesses and more residents that are eager to compost and talking about compost and shaming their neighbors who aren't composting yet than any neighborhood I've seen in the city of Chicago. Uh, it is really funny to see. It's a neighborhood where the conversation is often, you're not composting yet. Instead of what's stopping you from composting, you know, what do you want to know about composting? It's this, why aren't you doing it yet? Like, what? I don't even know. The, the fights I've seen about composting in Andersonville, not started by me. 
I started a lot of fights about composting, but the ones that I've seen, just people, even business owners talking to other business owners about why wouldn't they be composting is pretty incredible. So Andersonville on the non-governmental side, if we've talked about award winning, it'd be the 47th ward. We compost for a lot of all the people throughout the city. So I've got some some hope that there's a lot of people in city council right now thinking about composting. They're at least thinking about it every day when they go home. I'm not going to throw shade on uh, some of the other Andersonville older people that I don't know about composting at home for, but oh. Hopefully we eventually can get a final fantasy type bracket thing going on to make things really interesting. I want to kind of touch on, since we brought it to individual neighborhoods, there's uh, this survey that that you and David have that, I, David, I believe, is live now at this point, correct? Yes. Uh, to give a little bit of background yeah. on it, it is a composting survey that is uh, that actually came from the conversations of the different ward offices and working with our local um, sustainability organization, the Edgewater Environmental Coalition, that we've partnered with for years uh, and working with WasteNot, we have an active survey out right now to find out who exactly composts within the Edgewater neighborhood. So that crosses from the 40th Ward to the 48th uh, to find out who's already doing it, who is doing the work, and that data will help us fill in the blanks on items what are the barriers what are the misconceptions what is the fear that is is preventing someone to start thinking about composting it as an active part of their lives and uh working with waste not uh they've been incredible in offering um a first month service free uh they're helping with our community garden um for uh picking up the the last remaining tomatoes and stuff that will be composted so we can get the garden ready to go to sleep for the winter time and turn it over for next year. They are a very important step into really understanding what we need to know to present to an older folks or age city council on what is already going on in the city with composting and what people are talking about. Because at this point, we don't Nobody has that information yet. And then for our listeners, we'll make sure that survey is made available for you. Uh, We'll have a link to it in our uh, podcast description. There should be some posts on our Facebook, our Instagram, and probably our LinkedIn. And then if you do have any questions or can't find it and would like to fill it out, uh, please feel free to email us directly at the chamber. We're happy to pass that information along. And we will choose one winner from one winner, one person who's filled out the survey to win um, a $100 gift certificate to their favorite um, Edgewater Andersonville business locally owned. And if you didn't have some incentive before. Yes. And Mooka with Liam. <laughs> hey, I'll be uh I'll be in competition there. I'm sorry. I'm gonna be going for that. <laughs> So Liam, I wanted to ask you, we've obviously talked a lot about uh, the process of composting, the availability of composting, and I know Waste Not obviously 
you know, in our relationship with you, we consider to be one, one of, if not the best resource for learning about it, starting it yourself. But what other resources for those who may be interested in learning about composting or sustainability and just kind of want to educate themselves a little bit, do you recommend that people pursue things, um, either publications they can look at or just maybe even other things happening in the city that could provide some good information if perhaps they don't, uh, I don't know if people are outside of your, your, uh, your service uh, limits? That's a great question. There's a lot of resources on composting. There's a lot of different types of composting. We are fortunate here in Illinois to have a very active composting council. So the Illinois Food Scrap and Composting Coalition. Full disclosure, I was the newest elected board member on that council, uh, but a group of composting experts that uh, I've been working pretty tirelessly to expand composting infrastructure and adoption throughout the state. That's part of the U.S. Composting Council. It's a chapter of that, uh, which is on the national side, a council dedicated to expanding composting. Uh, but then if you're more interested in doing it on your own or you're interested in learning about the effects of food waste on the environment, for the nitty gritties on how to do it yourself, the University of Illinois Extension Program has great resources on composting. They are a pretty valuable resource, and they're local to Illinois, which is pretty great. Uh, on the national side, but focused uh, also on food waste and the effects of food waste on the environment. Yeah, the Natural Resources Defense Council is a great resource for the data behind uh, food waste and the effect of food waste on the environment. Uh, so if you're looking for those stats, if you're looking for the punchy numbers on uh, why composting matters, they're a great place to look. So to break that down awesome. and to re-answer your question, we've got a lot of great resources here locally in Illinois. we got the Illinois Food Scrap and Composting Coalition that's going to be able to connect you with uh, local hauling solutions, tips and tricks on how to convince your municipality or school to compost. If you're interested in doing it in your backyard, underneath your sink with the worms, I think your best resource is probably University of Illinois Extension Program. They've got all the guides on how to do it yourself. And then if you're looking for the stats on food waste and the effects on the environment, that's where the Natural Resources Defense Council comes into play. And they'll have all the good infographics ready to go to show your family why they should be composting too. No, obviously, waste not, compost. Uh, we come back with as uh, the main resource, I think, again, in the time I've been with the chamber and I've learned a lot about sustainability from David, I, I think the work you've done has been, you see the effect in the neighborhood, but also your your form of education and your engagement with uh, the community is, is uh, significant. And I, I think you seem like my, my favorite resource that I would pursue. You're the website's the one I always go to when I'm looking for any sort of uh, definitions or terminology or anything that could help uh, that I, when I have to write something or explain something about compost that could make it easy to understand and um, accessible for people. And special thank you because when you were driving down Clark Street or Lawrence in traffic, there it has been so much donation of compost for those uh, parkways for pollinators and those islands. So you're not only doing a huge service for the community within composting, but you're also giving back to allow for the beautification of the neighborhoods and working with the residents as they get their compost back to do their parkways and to do their backyard gardens. So thank you. Thank you. 
Liam, before we sign off, do you have anything, any uh, info or any events coming up, anything in particular that you'd like to get out to our, our listeners? Halloween's coming up, so I'm like, sign up now for your <laughs> pumpkin because we're not doing it for the EEC. Yeah, the, uh, I mean, the, something, if you do finish up this podcast and uh, you're hot for compost and... <laughs> Steamy for compost. <laughs> it's kind of find a way to get steamy in there. Uh, I, I need that there. music. No, that was good. We're keeping that in. I need that, I need that, oh. that music video. <laughs> me, all right. Uh, but, but seriously, following this podcast, if you are hot for compost and you're interested in trying out what we advertise as the cleanest, easiest way to help the planet, I encourage you to check out wastenotcompost.com. Sign up for our home service, either every week or every other week it's not something that's limited to folks that have a single family house this is a solution this is a composting option that is available to you in whatever style of home you live in whether that's single unit two flat six flat 300 unit apartment building or even our high-rise buildings downtown so that's where i'd recommend you go uh, it's where I recommend people that are interested in composting that know this is something that's game changers. I mean, my life will never be the same now that I compost, not for the podcast, but I am spoiled here. Now that I've done this bucket service and I grew up composting on my own, I don't know if I could ever go back to doing it in the backyard because I'm spoiled by this ability to put all my food waste in the bucket, meat scrap bone, solidarity, my pizza, you name it, all the stuff I forget about in the back of my fridge. What am I missing here, David? Is there anything... Uh, shout out I to, need to do a compost, waste not compost restaurants if they want to support uh, local uh, businesses that do practice sustainability with composting within their within their restaurants. Give a few shout outs to the, some of your favorite clients or not so favorite favorite clients uh, on Clark Street. My my all time favorite is uh, No More. You know that, David. So yeah, no. for that, I will ever be shedding tears about. We've got some great composters on Clark still. I'm an ice cream guy, though, and I know this is unfortunately national, but I'm a big Jenny's guy. And Jenny's has been a good composting partner of Waste Not since five years ago. I don't know what year that was. Uh, they've been composting with us at their Chicago locations for five years. Uh, so not only is it delicious ice cream, it is delicious ice cream that makes you feel good uh, about helping the environment through supporting a company that cares about sustainability. We've got the coffee studio wow the coffee studio composting uh think about all those coffee grounds that you produce at home and i'll multiply that by thousands of cups every week and think about your neighborhood cafe the next time you stop in drink a cup of coffee ask them what they're doing with their compost ask them what they're doing with their coffee grounds it is so easy biggest shout out is actually going to go to the residents of andersonville that compost with us at home uh because they have been pushing Andersonville to become a more sustainable neighborhood. Uh, I believe they are largely responsible for Andersonville's reputation internationally as being one of the coolest neighborhoods in the world. And they're only making it better. So I think my favorite composters are the composters in Andersonville who are doing this at home that wake up on their service day to put out their bucket that teach their loved ones about the importance of composting at home and really are convincing the city government, whether that's their local older person or the city as a whole, that composting can be done efficiently 
and accessibly to homes of all different shapes and sizes. All right. Well, thank you very much to our listeners. Um, if you're interested in getting some more in- information about Waste Not and Waste Not Composting, you can head to www.wastenotcompost.com. You can also follow them on Instagram at Waste Not Compost. Uh, if you are any business owners or Andersonville residents um, and you do have some questions about how you could connect with compost in Andersonville, we are happy to make that connection for you. Uh, feel free to reach out to the Andersonville Chamber at info at andersonville.com. And we will get your compost journey started. 